0: Hello everybody and welcome to the Pour Over podcast where we seek to share the table with storytellers and seekers alike. Hopefully and almost certainly over a great cup of coffee where we seek to help you flourish and want to see you flourish in your mental health journey. We're your host, Jonathan Coggins and I'm Kyle Ridgely and I hope that this is a space that is
1: safe and inclusive for all. Welcome to the table.
0: Hello friends, and welcome to another episode of the Poor Over Podcast. As we always say, welcome to the table. We hope you have your coffee. I'm your host, Jonathan Coggins. I'm joined by my other host here. What's up, Kyle Ridgley? <laughs> what was the pause, man? I don't know. I don't know. It's been a long week. Yeah, it's been a long week. I hear that. I, I mean, that. I haven't
1: even finished yet, but you know. <laughs> yeah.
0: We have Friday off, so yeah. that's nice. Yes. Sure. Um you doing okay, man? Hmm? Doing good. Doing good. Just how have, have the
1: rest of the week off, so that's that's a good thing. So took some time off.
0: Oh yeah. Your your vacation started starts... now. Yes. <laughs> right now. Perfect. <laughs> everybody everybody needs a rest every once in a while. Yes.
1: Self care is important.
0: That's right. So if, sure. if you get nothing else <laughs> out of this conversation, just get that. Self-care is important. Take time off work, Mm. rest, care for your soul, care, care for your body. All right. With that, um, we have a fantastic guest today talking about something that I, I felt like we, we need to talk about and it's kind of going in the same vein of our past two episodes. Um, We talked about religious trauma, um, consent within organizations, and then we had Tim on from the the New Evangelicals talking about uh, a little bit about deconstruction of mental health. Um, That was a fantastic conversation. And so um, now we have um, Ryan Ramsey, and I will – give it over to ryan to kind of introduce himself tell a little bit about himself but talking about um, the role of pastor critiquing systems um that oppress and hurt people and and just better pass forward um and just get into to some details and minutia about that um but yeah, Ryan, uh, thanks for taking time and just coming on and having this conversation with us. Um, and I'll just get over, give it over to you just to tell a little bit about who you are, um, what you do and, you know, really whatever you want to share.
2: Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks to you both for, um, inviting me to this conversation. Grateful to be here. Um, really quickly, my background, um, these days, you will find me in the world of chaplaincy in healthcare. Um, but uh, if we were having this conversation three years ago, um, my background prior to chaplaincy for the last uh, 13, 14 years was in pastoral ministry. In some context, I've, um, my wife and I were part of a church planting team more than a decade ago. Um, I've been a lay elder on um at that church and then um while I was finished at seminary we ended up moving out to Colorado and um I've worked for a couple different churches over the years on pastoral staff and um yeah and and have without going into too many details I've I've also resigned from two churches and so you know, um, today I still consider myself a pastor fundamentally and vocationally. Um, I'm currently serving in in chaplaincy, uh, may or may not return to pastoring in a congregation setting or not, um, down the road, but I find myself, um, uh, thinking and writing and, um, supporting folks, advocating for folks a lot today as a pastor, um, and, and uh, speaking to a lot of the unhealthy and abusive dynamics that folks encounter uh, in faith settings. And um, yeah, so I, I, I care a lot about this because it's, it's been personal. It's been autobiographical for my wife and I, but um, man, we've just connected with uh, hundreds of folks over the last couple of years. And, and um, uh, I, I care deeply about uh, shepherding people who who have those injuries from a church or from a faith setting? Um, that's something that's come to mean a lot for me personally, uh, vocationally too.
0: Man, that's that's good. Thank, thanks for you know just sharing a little bit, bit about who you are and and a little bit um, about that journey um, with us. Um, before we really dive into this conversation, um, you you told me you're a coffee drinker. And the the one thing that we always like to ask our guests, a little just fun icebreaker, because this is the Pour Over podcast. Um, what is your uh-huh. favorite coffee um, and or brew method?
2: Yeah, great question, man. Um, so I will give you my local go to uh, coffee. Uh, my wife and I love a local coffee spot here in the Denver area called Sweet Bloom. Uh, have you guys ever heard of it by chance?
0: I actually, I actually think I've heard of sweet bloom. I, I want to okay. say I have.
2: Yeah. Um, delicious coffee. Um, and they've got a few locations now. Uh, they've grown quite a bit in the last five or six years, but, uh, that's our favorite spot here locally. We buy coffee from there regularly. And these days, uh, most mornings you can catch me making uh, Chemex has been our recent favorite way to make coffee. So we've been really enjoying that lately.
0: Nice, nice man. Yeah. Um, being me and Kyle actually took a trip to the Colorado area last September um, before I, you know, started interacting with, with you online Um, if I, if I was at the time, I would have definitely reached out and said, Hey man, let's go get coffee. Um, but, but this was pre finding, finding your account. Um, but either way, um, we, we went to, um, the Colorado area, Denver, Boulder, um, Colorado Springs kind of bounced around and camped and man, um, some, some great, great coffee, um, in Colorado for sure.
2: There really is, yeah, um, feel spoiled, but I realize there's there's a lot of other good cities too that have some delicious coffee, including including your neck of the woods, mm-hmm. yes,
0: yes, Asheville has some um some fantastic roasters, um just, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, and I just just one thing that I love about you know that that small batch you know, roasters, um, local, um, it's just, there's a, there's a care behind, um, just people and, and, and stories and, and integrity in, um, the production process. Um, and, and actually I posted a, a, a video on, on my Instagram talking about how, um, only buying small batch local roasters is, is a form of uh, resistance to me um, away from the very neo-colonialist, you know, big box um, coffee production in America. So that that's one really big aspect I love about um, just local roasters is, is that care and the integrity behind what they do. Um,
2: yes yeah absolutely
0: yeah awesome man um, well to really um, just start us out and, and and dive dive into this conversation um, and I, I think to start out I want to I want to pull from our our first episode of this season a little bit talking about religious trauma um, and just, you know, hear your thoughts on this and and just share with us what you, um, you, you as being a a former pastor and in an organization and, um, in, in that, in that first episode talking about religious trauma, um, Brian Peck, the, the social worker that, that we interviewed on that episode, he, he talked about, um, organizations being not not always and a lot of times being safe for people. And I I, I just get get the feeling as I in the in the idea as I see scandal after scandal and abuse story after abuse story come out of a context that is supposed to uh, protect and care for the oppressed and love people, um, but but it's religious systems. It's it's you know it's the the North American church, um, and, and just just the more I, I walk with Jesus and go on my faith journey, I, I I just feel like the the organization that we have mapped onto the church in America is becoming less and less safe for people. Um, Yeah. Like what's your, what's your thoughts on that? Like just, just the, again, the, the organization that we've, we've mapped onto um, the church, what the church looks like now in America, um, the safety of people within those structures and systems.
2: Mm, Yeah. Um, Some good observations there. And I would certainly agree i think um often what you will find and it's kind of it's kind of the narrative embedded in so many of the big headlines stories um you know one recent example being mars hill the podcast unpacks so much of that story but um what you will find over and over and over again. And, and, you know, I don't have enough scholarship or expertise to say, is this a universal trend or is this a particular trend in North American context? But um, just the reality that faith organizations, churches, and, and other um, faith organizations that may not be churches too, but they, they, they drift almost always towards self-protection, and when organizations drift towards self-protection, which is, it's it's almost it's involuntary. Um, you know what what tends to happen is that uh, organizations get protected and people get sacrificed, and um, so that gets really ugly, of course, uh, in a context that calls itself a church um, that is supposed to be a place of refuge, of community, um, of belonging in the body of Christ. Um, it's this pattern that that repeats itself over and over and over and over and over, and over we see um, in stories, whether they've been in headlines or not, but that, you um, there's this sort of slow growing, um, process in a, in a community often, but not always associated with a growing organization. Um, it might just be an organization that comes to really cherish its own culture and way of doing things and structure of leadership and becomes very self-protective. And so, um, the the reality of that dynamic is that um new people functionally speaking um visitors people who become members of a church or an organization um, the, the the onus and the burden is placed on the new person to assimilate to the culture yes. to to, hmm. to fall in submission to it and um and to contribute to it but Um, you can, you can imagine um, the problems that come with that. And so, um, you know, I'll pause there, but it's one of the first observations I always have um, when you, when you hear stories of abuse and religious trauma, uh, institutional betrayal, that um, at some point in the journey, uh, I will, I would venture to say most organizations move from a caring or um, benevolent disposition towards um, the people who participate in that community to a protective and defensive disposition um, that then puts, in many cases, their own ministry and mission at odds with uh, the people that they are hoping or claiming to serve, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um. You, you mentioned something in there. Um, the the assimilation piece of mm-hmm. you know you're expected to assimil- assimilate to this this culture or this certain theology or um, contribute to the system, and I feel like in a lot of cases contribute something to the system to get something out. Um, Mm -hmm. and two, two lines of thought that, that I had there. Um, one, one being the, the assimilation piece in, um, in, in people losing who they are, people losing maybe their culture, you know, or, um, you know there there there's been a lot of conversations that's been brought up in the last two years. You know, in, in the wake of uh, Black Lives Matter and um, everything that happened in 2020, um, of you know whiteness and assimilation in the church, and if if we look historically at you know the the church in America, at least um there there is this strain of that assimilation. in other words, in a lot of ways you lose your culture um you lose um, identity, identity um, mm-hmm. and that that is that's frustrating and heartbreaking um and and, and the other the other points that, you know, kind of line of thinking I I thought of out of that the assimilation piece is this conversation that a lot of people are having right now. Um, what whatever you want to term it, deconstruction, um, you know, rearranging the furniture, exploring the house, you know what, however you want to term that. Um, th- this idea that if if you don't believe this certain way if you believe opposite of XYZ you know fill in the blank um you're then you're therefore out of orthodoxy you know that that's the one that's thrown thrown around a lot you're outside of the Christian tradition and you're you're outside of historic Christianity which is a really really vague one, um, that, that a lot of people use. And the, the more that I've explored and, and revisited my faith and and things I believe, I'm, I'm finding that a lot of those dances are very ahistorical because for thousands of years within the, the Christian tradition and, and, and within, um, the early church fathers and, and um, you know, the, the early church leaders, there were a lot of differing views on a lot of different things. Um, whether that be an atonement theory or your view of hell or, like, um, you know, a number of things. And it, it just doesn't seem like there was this expected assimilation all the time there were differing views and i don't know it's just it's just weird to to look at church history and again to to see all those differing views in an inner inner church and if you don't assimilate to this theology the, this way of thinking about again fill in the blank you're therefore out you know you even in some cases can't serve etc
2: Right. Right. Yeah. Um, as you're saying that, um, I was thinking just anecdotally, when I observe a sort of abuse be uncovered in churches and faith contexts, you will almost always find expressions of fundamentalism. But it doesn't necessarily mean theological fundamentalism. In other words, there are plenty of churches that are very, very, very conservative and, and turn out to be abusive. And and what you will find in the culture, right, um, whether it's small or large community, is this very anxious gatekeeping culture around biblical orthodoxy, theological purity you know protecting the gospel um and the theology itself is kind of the the golden calf um hmm. but then I've also been in and have known so many people in church contexts where theological um fundamentalism and gatekeeping is actually quite a bit more loose in other words um a conservative would look at many of these other abusive church contexts and say, "Well, they're they would they would be considered probably liberal to them." But um, what you will find in many church contexts, regardless of whether they're uh, theologically conservative, is you will find cultural fundamentalism, and it's the same kind of expression that becomes quickly toxic and abusive. But it's a community that decides we must protect our culture, our way of doing things, our leadership, our organization at any cost. And it's that scarcity, that inner scarcity creeps in um, and expresses itself in very fundamentalist ways, right? Where you can very quickly find, find yourself on the outside looking in of these systems. And so um, often, often, you know, um, you'll find very ambitious organizations that are um, ruthlessly seeking to grow and multiply their numbers and build buildings, and um, sometimes, sometimes at whatever at whatever expense. Mm-hmm. And and um, in in those cases, it's not always the, the theology and the orthodoxy that's protected. It's it's the culture. It's the brand. You know, and if you if you become a threat to the culture and the brand, um, then you're then you're often going to be uh, at risk of being chewed up and spit out of that system. Mm. If that makes sense. Yeah.
1: Seems a lot like empire
0: building. Sounds like it. <laughs>
1: yes. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yes.
0: Yeah. Um, for, for you, Ryan, um, on that. That conversation of you know empire building and um, um like I said these these systems and structures that um we as Western Christians have have mapped onto the church that's the these systems and structures are not actually the church hmm. we we've just mapped them on um that being empire brand all that and. And knowing that, that I follow a Jesus that was against empire that in many ways resisted empire. Um, and also being somebody that, that loves and, and diving a lot into Martin Luther King Jr. Um, and just, just love his, um, philosophies about round nonviolent resistance and, um, you know, re- really lining up with the message of Jesus. Um, what does it look like for you, Ryan, to, um, to to resist empire? Um, and that that that's a that's a hard thing to say about. At least for me, it, it's a hard thing to say about the church that I, I grew up in, and you know, my dad was a pastor and. Um, to say, I am, I'm resisting this, this thing that I grew up in. Um, It's a, it's a tension. um, But what does that look like for you and in ways that that you have kind of resisted that the empire and brand and um, celebrity pastor and, and all of that?
2: Yeah. um, I love that question. And I think for me, um, resisting empire begins and ends with a view of relationships that is utterly and maybe radically unwilling to treat people as commodities hmm. for the sake of s- some other mission hmm. or, or goal um, even for the sake of quote unquote advancing the kingdom hmm. um, yeah So I think resisting empire is fundamentally taking our cues from the person of Jesus who had this way of moving towards people and honoring their stories and offering them dignity Hmm. um, and taking however much time it took to ensure that one person could be seen and their suffering could be witnessed and their dignity could be um, restored. And, you know, Jesus over and over again, right. He just had a way of moving away from the crowds uh, or moving away from the institution and the structures in order to go find people Mm. and extend dignity and relationship. And so, um, it's just operating on a totally different paradigm than the paradigm that says we need to build organizations and institutions. Mm.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's that's good. Um, be be more concerned with you know protecting and loving people than um, protecting and loving our institutions, um, for sure.
2: Right, right. Yeah, I, I think about sort of the um, the being and doing aspects of our lives and our faith. And it just seems over and over again, like, um, especially as, as a shepherd, Jesus himself was so concerned that we get the being part right, that we learn how to be together and to be human. Mm-hmm. Um, in some ways to to reclaim our humanity and Jesus was all about um, extending dignity and humanity back to people and mm-hmm. I felt like he he operated so much um, more in the in the realm of being from relationships and dignity with people whereas um, in our context especially you know it's always been this way but um, you'll find, Organizations and churches moving more and more away from the the realm of, of being, um, in order to accomplish something, um, and, and, um, becoming so fixated on doing and achievement and kingdom building, quote unquote, that, um, relationships suffer for it in the process. And um, that becomes so twisted so fast. So um, yeah, I I think I think resisting empire is all about choosing over and over in the smallest most unseen ways that relationships matter more than revenue, Mm -hmm. matter more than our buildings matter more than our projects and our goals and, and, and our success. Yeah. Hmm.
1: I like how you put that with the, you know, the humanity of people and mm-hmm. just understanding that we're, we are people, we are human, uh, we're made of the image of God and there's dignity and worth attached to that. Um, and I think that in those empire, those structures, those systems, it uh, almost seems like your dignity is stripped away. It almost seems like your autonomy is non-existent Um, very Mm -hmm. exclusive community where you can't come as you are, which we use the phrase all the time, come as you are, but there's always a bait and switch aspect to that. Come as you are, as long as you don't do this or come, come as you are, as long as you don't wear this or say that, or, uh, you know, not assimilating to what we see as a true and upstanding citizen of the kingdom of God, you know? Um,
2: Yes. Absolutely, mm-hmm. guys. I can't tell you how many times over the years I've heard very gifted and successful faith leaders say, in essence, um, "I don't really enjoy people. I don't really like people. I just really enjoy teaching and building mm-hmm. an organization." Mm-hmm. And that brings a chill down my spine as a pastor. Yeah, to hear to hear those words, and I've heard them repeatedly from very gifted charismatic, successful leaders of churches and faith organizations that, Mm. you know, you're not in it for the relationships. You're in it to build an organization. That's, that's pretty disturbing.
0: Mm. Yeah. I think you, you mentioned something in that, in that vein, you know, when we, we chatted before this conversation about, um, You know, really rethinking through who, what kind of people are we, um, are are putting in, in leadership and in, in those roles. Um, what do you, what do you think that looks like rethinking that, um, so we don't get those outcomes?
2: Yeah. Um, you know, obviously like, um, there's probably a lot of people in good faith who would disagree here, but I am one of those folks who will die on the Hill of, of, of smaller and local um, about everything. When I think of community and gathering, even church, um, I am pretty personally dogmatic about um, the size of our communities and um, the, the pitfalls that come with, um, what I would say uh, is excessive growth in um, churches that become more capitalistic mm. uh, in the, in their in their functioning rather than um, communal. And so, um, for me, um, keeping our communities and our gatherings uh, limited in mm. size. Is really important, and thinking more about the old parish model, um, neighborhood communities, um, those those factors are 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 certainly significant uh, in my view as to you know how we go about this. Um, but there's a quote by <clears throat> a pastor. Uh, his name is Chase. I, I might butcher his last name, but it's Chase Replogy, um, pastor, and he's is also an author. And he wrote an article a couple years ago in Christianity Today. And um, he says this, and I've always remembered it, but one line in this article, he says, the pastor's first call is not to envision a church, but to receive one. Hmm. And... Um, that's always captured me. Um, I feel like that, that is a beautiful way of describing the vocation of pastor and the role of the parish or the community that pastors, um, ultimately are responsible to steward a community that is given to them as a gift and steward the gifts of the, of that community and bear witness to the lives of of the people that fall under their care. Um, once, they, once they shift over into this more, what I would call, ambitious mode, um, you know, where their own vision and ideas about uh, an organization and um, those things very quickly derail what I'd say is, is uh, the fundamental task of, of a shepherd. Um, to bear witness to people's lives and to empower, um, uh, people to 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 love in a community context. Um, so yeah, um, those are some initial thoughts, and and uh, feel free to follow up or if I can help clarify a little bit more there.
0: No, I think I think that's good. I think that's some important things you know to think about. Um. I mean, I I think about it a lot um, because you know um, peaks and valleys. Which the this podcast is a is an arm of a you know organization I'm working on starting, focusing on you know mental health and getting people you know connected to the help they need and stuff like that. And like think thinking through you know leading an organization and um as, as, as much as I can, um, you know, being, being as transparent as I can, um, being at uh, safest place as I can and, um, make sure of having modes of accountability in place. Um, and, and even that piece you said about, um, the size context of the group. Um, because I think, I think that that's one dynamic that, um, that, that is really, th- throws a wrench in a lot of these stories is, is the size of it. I think it, it gets too big. And, and especially when you throw leaders in the mix that, you know, um, thinking very capitalistic and, you know, like, like the stage and, and the power, um, it's a really dangerous mix there <laughs> um but yeah. i i think i think the, those were all great thoughts about I me mean, just anybody that um is thinking about leading an organization or currently leading in in any capacity j- just thinking about um where you are as a leader where you want to go as a leader in the context of um it being a safe space um, and right. and how you're leading um, and the, the contextual size of that. Um, so I think that, w- that was some, some, some good stuff to chew on uh, for sure.
2: Yeah. I would just qualify real quick and, you know, I don't have to tell you guys, you know, this, but, um, I don't think anyone here is saying that small automatically equates to healthy. Right. We all have yeah. our, our own stories and, uh, goodness sakes, we know, um, droves of people who encountered a very, very toxic situation in a very small community. And so, um, there's a lot more to unpack there, you know, in terms of what makes a healthy system, um, and, and what to look for in a toxic system, regardless of size. But I, I just wanted to, to caveat that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. All right. So I'm going to shift gears on us um, a little bit um, and and kind of switch to the, the trauma and mental health piece of this. And, um, Oh, I I did want to add one more thing. I, it just came back to my thought um, because you, you mentioned um, that article um, in Christianity today. um, And I, I think they can be applauded, um, because, uh, the, just the mere fact that they reported on themselves, um, of, uh, you know, abuse and, um, harassment going on. And I I don't know if you, if you saw that Ryan, um, but it, it happened maybe 10 years ago and they, they, they could have not said anything. They, they could have left it where it was. Um, but they, Mm -hmm. they, they listened to people to step forward. Um, they did an independent investigation and, and they reported what happened within their own organization. Um, and so right. I think, I think that can be applauded. And I, you know, I, the unfortunate thing is I, I don't think a, a lot of other organizations are going to learn from that example. Um, but, mm-hmm. but I, I think that that's a great example of um, when you have the moment getting accountability, right? Right.
2: Right. Yeah, totally. I agree. And, you know, um, there are a lot of um, voices who have expressed what you just did, but also, um, you know, survivors, especially who have said, you know, we're grateful for um, the transparency Christianity has shown recently in this investigation and findings. But um, I think a lot of, a lot of survivors would still say, you know, organizations like CT still have a long way to go in terms of becoming more victim and survivor centered
0: for sure Hmm. yeah i think i think that was a a good first step at least um you know in, in addressing those issues um so um switching gears to you know the the trauma and mental health piece of this and there was actually um pull it up one of your posts that just, just really caught my attention and kind of wanted to, you know, unpack with you because I think it was, I mean, just, just right on, just right on the nose about, um, survivors that, that come out of, um, context and places and systems that have been harmful Um, and obviously we'll, we'll link, um, your Instagram, um, in the show notes in this, but if, um, if you're not following or never heard of Ryan, um, on Instagram, you, you totally should be. Um, but you made a post that says, um, if you, if you've met someone who fled abuse in a Christian setting, it's likely someone with profound character they honored their own body enough to heed its wisdom amidst incongruous spiritual jargon. And they love the body of Christ enough to leave an institution that loved itself. Uh, can you, you know, unpack that a little bit for us? Um, you know, the fact that somebody that flood abuse in a Christian setting, um, has profound character.
2: Yeah. Um, What I have found um, in supporting, at this point, hundreds of folks in recent years who have left an abusive environment is that 99% of the people that I'm connecting with who are devastated uh, from the betrayal and reeling from the trauma of losing a community often being manipulated and um, slandered in the process. Um, These are people who chose at great cost to speak up and to speak truth to power in powerful systems. Mm -hmm. And these are people who acted with immense courage. And, and I would also say immense love for the people In that system who they cared about because um, often it takes years of culminating dysfunction and crushed relationships and domineering and bullying and um, all of this stuff that goes on behind the scenes in these systems um uh, for a person to um a develop the discernment because these these systems as you know are are totally confusing mm-hmm. to be part of and disorienting they're they're crazy making um you know when you're when you're tacking on christian language right about family and submission and authority and calling and god's blessing um just fraught with confusion but um, the folks who choose to speak up, um, and, and in many cases choose to walk away or, um, get fired, you know, if they, if they work there, um, people, people made those decisions knowing the cost. And, um, and that is one of the areas, um, that I think speaks to their profound character that, um, there are people willing to do what's right n- knowing that it might cost them almost everything and knowing that um speaking up and doing what's right um is going to be at tremendous cost to not just their livelihood perhaps or not just a loss of community but often uh, knowing they're going to absorb the devastating trauma of that betrayal and they're likely to absorb the devastating trauma of people in positions of power, um, smearing their own character and, and slandering them to protect their organization. And so, um, that's kind of what I'm getting at. It takes immense integrity and, and courage to choose to go down that road and to choose that suffering, um, because it's the right thing to do because, um, speaking up was necessary.
0: Hmm. 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 Man, that's, that's good. Cause um, as you were saying that um, when you, when you said you, you love the people that that have the courage to, to speak out and, and leave that situation. And you mentioned the, the people within that institution. Um, I feel like, I feel like there's a sense of, you know, loving and caring about the other people within that institution, um, as well. Um, so yes. whatever, whatever abuse or domineering or, or, um, authoritarianism is going on with that, uh, specific church context or, um, religious organization, um, then this stuff can be exposed and, and other people, um, can possibly have the opportunity to get free and, and find healing and, and find hope. So, um, it definitely sounds like, uh, it, almost an echo effect, you know, like, um, you're being loud, but you're being stepping out and, and speaking and being loud for other people as well.
2: Um, Mm, yeah that's a good way to put it
0: yeah Yeah.
1: I mean I I myself have you know went through some immense amounts of religious trauma in my past and you know now kind of walking in this new like on this new journey whatever you want to call it and and just kind of coming back to a more grassroots kind of way of thinking about faith um, after being treated so horribly by so many different uh, empires that we talk about within the church um, systems. Um, it was, yeah. I can relate to that story is that, you know, that there's just so much that you, you're you just so confused and, and you look up to these men or whomever is in power and you say, well, they have to know, they have to know what's going on. They, they have to have the wisdom. They have to have the knowledge to know that this is okay and they're going to protect me. And I think that's what's so it hurts so much because I trusted these men to protect me um, and thinking that they had my best interests at heart and then come to find out it wasn't. And so mm. just reeling from that and, you know, having to make the step out, it's almost like you're leaving everything. And I know we've, we've talked about me and Jonathan have talked about this on this episode. It's or this podcast talking about how it's like a, A process of letting go it's like a a, almost a grieving process along with the trauma um that -hmm. you're just trying to to make sense of all that you've lost and all that you know from that from the friendships and the the connections and and through that all the the minutiae of like you know the confusion and the layers that come with that and and uh the manipulation and the gaslighting and and thinking mm-hmm. about, you know, like if I, if I change my mind or if I say that I don't want to be a part of this community anymore, am I going to go to hell or am I going to never see these people again? Am I going to be, um, I mean, that was, that was my community. That was all that I had was this church community. What do I, where do I go from here? I don't know anything else, you know, so I can relate to that for sure.
2: Yeah. Um, it's so important that you mentioned the grief. I think um, it's worth touching on, I think, because oftentimes, especially for those of us who grew up in church, grew up in um, evangelical background or just a very you know devout religious background, um, a lot of folks really grapple with um, the obligation or feeling that Uh, once they leave a community or are forced to leave um, a community that was abusive, that um, they feel obligated to jump in and find another church or another place as soon as possible. And um, what you just captured is the reality of the, the grief, the trauma and the loss Um, when you experience uh, betrayal from a community, um, the reality is that's going to take years Hmm. to unravel and, and heal from. And, um, I, I can't emphasize enough just to folks, um, that there is an invitation to honor those losses and to really move into that grief and that that invitation is just as important as, um, the desire or, or, um, impetus to find another community, I think. And those things can go together, um, in some cases, but, um, I don't want to rush anyone to jump back into a church or, um, a community until they've really given it space, not, not not alone on an island, but but give the time that is needed to honor those losses and and move through that grief and move into that grief because there's, um, you know, as a pastor, I want to say God is there. That's where he is. He's in the grief and he's in um, those losses and he wants to meet He wants to meet us there, of course, with, with others, uh, who, who, who are safe. But, um, I think we, we are too quick to, to jump past. And oftentimes people will jump in headlong, uh, you know, into another community and, and the grief is just kind of buried and they haven't, they haven't really attended to that yet. And then, and then, you know, um, that brings more pain when, when we're not giving that time and space, uh, unhurried to attend to our grief.
0: Yeah. And I, I think, I think, uh, because I think part of that, you know, really not, not leaning into and, and, and filing, finding the tools and help needed to, to heal, you know, um, from that grief and that trauma and, and you know, lean into that and finding that healing before whatever that next community looks like. Um, I think because of you know, for a lot of people, um, you know, there's we've been taught spiritual bypassing, um um and mm-hmm. you know, not not trusting our emotions and not um you know running from, uh, our emotions, our anger, our grief, our, um, our hurts, um, and not being, not being able to just be angry or, um, feel grief or, um, and, and even sitting that with others, um, feeling like we're a burden maybe. Um, so I think that that was a good, um, a great point of, um, that you, you two just brought out was, you know, the grief and, um, uh, taking that season, um, you know, in that period of time to just sit and just be and, and find, find people that just, just want to do life with you, not, not in a church context and, um, find that healing, go to therapy, you know, um, find those things that you need for healing. Um, it's okay to not feel okay. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a couple more things, Ryan, If you're still good, good on time.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely.
0: All right. Um, the other parts of of this post, um, you said in it they they honored their own body enough, and just right there that phrase, um, I, I for one, I know um for a lot of other people's stories is very similar taught to not trust our bodies to not trust ourselves um and I feel like that that may be a reason why people um in a lot of cases get stuck or never come forward and never speak up um you know and, and I think it's this ingrained idea that you know, these this frustration and this this um it's this anger, um you know it's it's I'm I'm not trusting the leaders, you know, I'm I'm um you know it's it's there there's a sim problem within me, you know, um many number things that have been heard by a lot of people, um Mm -hmm. When instead people should be able to, to trust their own bodies to trust, um, you know, the really it's, it's, it's the survival intricacies of the way that, that we've been created, um, because our, our bodies were created to tell us whenever things are not safe, whenever it's time to get out, whenever, you know, um, Right. What is what does that look like uh, for you and walking with people and in in helping people to trust their bodies in in this context um, of abuse, of um, authoritarianism within these contexts, bullying? um, What does it look like uh, for you?
2: Yeah, great question. So. You know, um, this was true for our story and it's been true for so many folks who, um, you know, have the benefit of hindsight after experiencing abuse. Um, they will, and, and, and we said this, um, there were, there were moments, um, in the early days of our investment in a church system, there were moments, um, interacting with the senior leader, um, where we can remember feeling this our nervous systems giving us some clues that this person isn't safe and um it's almost that um intuition bodily knowing uh you know Pete Scazzaro author uh, you guys probably know he likes to say the body is a major prophet not a minor prophet mm-hmm. and um Oftentimes when you're in an abusive system and interpersonally relationally, when you're around someone who, um, is not safe, your body is going to pick that up before you realize it intellectually or cognitively. Right. And, um, uh, we can look at so many moments, um, when our bodies were (laughs) at times raging Um, you know, our bodies were, were, were screaming, this is not okay. And I'm not okay. You know, it might, it manifests in um, stress symptoms and excessive anxiety or um, unusual um, symptoms. Like it could be um, bowel related um, rashes. I mean, our bodies are communicating to us so much, especially when we're in systems um, that are not good for our bodies. And um, so when I talk to people like, like in our own story um, who leave abuse, um, one common thread is that they finally listened to their bodies and their bodies had been communicating uh, sometimes very loudly and sometimes more quietly, um, that this, isn't, this is not a good place. And, and our nervous systems um, contain that kind of wisdom. Um, and we need to recover um, that, that honoring and reverence for our bodies and that God's actually made us and made our bodies to contain so much wisdom Um, And and, uh, unfortunately, many of us uh, grew up receiving messages about the body um, that caused us to completely dismiss um, its wisdom Mm -hmm. and to dismiss uh, the very good um, signals that our bodies communicate to us that we need to learn to listen more deeply to, um, Mm -hmm. which are particularly helpful um when you're in a, a an unhealthy or abusive relationship or environment
0: hmm. Hmm. yeah that's that's good um just just one thing that i've learned is um i've walked through my own um you know uh, rethinking and you know kind of walking through some deconstruction of my own faith journey um is finding that it is it is okay to sit just with my body and breathe and meditate after a long day. And and my body tells me like this certain part of your day was not okay. This certain part of your day made you feel this way. You know, Mm -hmm. it's not that you're just being overreactive. Um, My body actually wants to communicate with me and tell me those things. And just learning to just be able to just sit with my body and, um, you know, breathe and, and, uh, just hone in on the sensations, you know, in my body, um, has just been so like, just honestly, life giving a, um, anxiety reducer for me personally. And, uh, just, just so fruitful and good um you know just to um switch from you know you you can't really really trust your body in those things to no it's it's okay to sit with your body and feel those sensations and like figure out what's going on um that's good
2: yes absolutely
0: finding a place of rest is really important for
1: our overall wellness and um Anytime we're experiencing that ah uh, those trauma triggers or stressors, it's a good place to just sit
0: um, and decompress from the day for sure. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, send on this, Ryan. Um, so you know, really, um, two parts on this, uh, just to give some some encouragement and just some of your thoughts on. Um, you know, speaking to because one one thing that that we always want and hope our listeners get out of our episodes is, you know, how do we as just lay people, walk alongside people well in in whatever, you know the conversation is, um, how do we walk alongside people well? And then, as, especially in this context of, um, you know, religious trauma, um, abuse, um, you know, what what do you see as just caring for people and walking alongside people well, um, inviting people into healing and, and helping people find healing? And then they, on the flip side of that, um, just anybody that may be listening that has experienced um, religious trauma or abuse within, um, you know, this context or one of these systems, like um, those two things, what, what kind of, you know, encouragement or words uh, would you give?
2: Yeah. To your first question, um, you know, you will often hear and I'm grateful Um, among advocates, among survivors, among um, teachers, um, that it's so important to communicate to um, survivors and victims, especially when they when they come forward for the first time to share their stories to communicate um, those precious words that I believe you and those words mean so much to, um, to, to all survivors and victims, because um, of the of the manipulation and the gaslighting and the um, smearing they've endured. Um, it's so chaotic and it's such a chaotic internal experience that you often feel crazy. You know, we've kind of mentioned that. So to be able to communicate um, that I believe you is is, I think it's critical. I think it's it's a huge part of the process. I think one of the things I will I want to m- maybe add to that, and that i i try to write to and communicate um with that is that um when i listen to victim stories um what always captures me is the integrity that i see in these people and the the depth of integrity and character that i witness when they share their story and when their tears come down and when Um, they grapple with the devastation of the losses and the betrayal. Um, I always feel like I'm witnessing rare and immense integrity. And so part of what I want to encourage anyone who's trying to just grow and learn to support uh, victims and survivors is let's, let's continue to communicate that we believe people when they share their stories, absolutely as a baseline. But I think, part of what people also want to hear is not just, I believe you, but I respect you deeply and I respect the choices you made. And I respect the resilience you've embodied in um, not just surviving, but um, being someone who's really modeled integrity uh, for the rest of us. And so um, I think we can do both. I think we can, we can communicate, um, that we believe people when they share, but I also think people deeply desire to hear that we respect them too. And, um, it, it, it takes immense courage, um, to, to choose to, um, walk away from these systems and, and, and share their stories. So, um, yeah, that's what, that's one thing I would, um, encourage and emphasize. And then, um, I think to, to to sort of reiterate what we had touched on earlier for folks who are still grappling with their own stories of abuse, um, regardless of what phase or stage they're in. Um, I'm in the process currently of, um, getting a certification in grief counseling and, um, what I'm really passionate about is um, creating space for, for folks to bear witness to one another's stories uh, to hold those stories um, in safety and uh, around people who love them and, um, and learn to together um, for us to learn to remember the losses and honor the losses together as part of our healing. Um, I think there's a lot more beautiful work we can do together um, as Jesus followers in community to hold rituals together um, to remember. Um, And this is true, not just for religious trauma, but for the millions right of ambiguous losses we all experience. Um, I think we need to make more space for, a remembrance and, and, and ritual together to, um, I think give our, our grief, uh, and our losses, the, the sacredness, um, that, that they deserve. And I think there's immense opportunity in the body of Christ, um, for us to do that in more, um, intentional ways. And so, um, you know, if, if you're a survivor or support someone who's a survivor, I think, locally, um, in, in those friendships and in community. Um, I, I want to encourage us to imagine ways to hold space together, um, and to hold ritual together, um, as part of our healing. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Yeah, That's that's good. That's a, that's a good ending right there. Thanks Ryan.
2: Absolutely. Great to be with you.
0: Yeah, man. Um, Besides Instagram, um, is there other ways for people to engage with you and, and connect?
2: Yeah, that's a great place I think to start. And um, yeah, if you were to find me on Instagram, uh, I've got a, a link tree there on my profile where you can also um, find links to a few articles I've published in the last couple years, and my website and um, just about a few months ago recently started a Substack newsletter as well folks can um subscribe to that's free and and I post uh, periodic essays and reflections there on Substack so it's another way to connect with me
0: nice well i will link your instagram um in the show notes so people can um, connect with you and and engage and just enjoy all the great great uh uh, thoughts and content you put out uh it's it's good stuff and appreciated um awesome well thanks again ryan for taking the time to come on and just unpack a lot of this just heavy stuff and um, have this conversation with us
2: thank you yeah honored to be with you guys yeah thank you
0: ryan all right guys well i hope you guys um or going away with stuff, some stuff to chew on, to think about, um, and hope it empowers you to um, walk alongside people um, better, um, chart some good paths forward, um, and refreshes your soul. That That's another hope that these, these episodes are a bomb and a refreshment for you um, and empowering. So thank you all always for listening in. Um, It would help us out greatly if you enjoy this show. Um, Leave us a review. um, Share it um, on your socials, with your friends, with your mom, with your dad, always with your pets. Uh, But anyways, um, next time on the Pour Over Podcast, um, bring your coffee. We'll have the table ready, right, Kyle? Mm -hmm. See you later. Peace.